Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Srividya Sridharan. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Vice President and Principal Analyst, Ian Bruce, to discuss the critical role of trust in business buying and how companies can build and maintain trust equity with buyers. Welcome, Ian. It's great to be here. Thank you. So we've talked about trust a little bit on this podcast before. It always seems like a nebulous concept, right? Can you unpack, you know, why we're talking about it today and why it's important in a business buying context specifically? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. It is a nebulous concept. It's one of these, you know, phrases, words, ideas that's bandied about by, I think, every company on planet Earth. Um, you know, it's in everybody's mission statement. It's in everybody's vision statement. Everybody wants to be trusted. But if you try and unpack what people mean by that, it, it can be, it's tricky. It's complicated. You know, it's its the realm of psychology and social science. It, it's definitely complicated. So I think, uh, you know, three or four years ago, Forrester took this task on of trying to unpack what trust actually is and make it something that isn't sort of abstract and aspirational, uh, but something that is more concrete and actionable. And, and to do that, uh, we came up with these seven attributes, levers, dimensions of trust. And this gives you a way of thinking about trust in a more complicated, nuanced and actionable way. So I think you're absolutely right. It, it feels nebulous. And I think the purpose of Forrester's research, certainly on the B2B side, is to make it actionable tangible, real, measurable, something that you can take to the business and work with. So I, I think that's, you know, an important way of introducing this subject. For for B2B buyers, and that's the, the group of people we've surveyed quite recently in, in some research we've done, for B2B buyers, trust is paramount. It's incredibly important to them for complicated reasons that I'm sure we'll get into here. But just to give you a sense of how important it is, we asked um, B2B buyers in a recent survey we conducted, global survey, 1,400 responses. We asked them you know, how they think about organizations that they trust and organizations that they don't trust. So compare and contrast those two things. And they told us that they are twice as likely to recommend a company to others if they trust them. They are more than twice as likely to continue to do business with that company. They are twice as likely to recommend the company to others. They are almost twice as likely to be willing to pay a price premium to continue to work with that organization. So there is no question that the benefits that accrue from being trusted are significant. Um, and that trust is one of the prime determinants of buying behavior. There's no question about that in the B2B landscape. I think the question becomes, how do you unpack what trust is? How do you activate on it? How do you build trust equity in the marketplace? I think that's that, those were the sets of questions we were trying to unpack with our research. And this is really interesting to dig into. It's not, you know, we've taken this nebulous concept and we have tied it to the outcomes that, you know, um, buyers or B2B companies rather can uh, can drive if they work on trust and if they focus on trust. Let's go back a little bit to the seven levers of trust. You mentioned, you know, we came up with this framework. What are those seven, uh, seven levers of trust? And especially in the B2B context, you know, which of those levers matter? 
Right. So the seven levers of trust are accountability, consistency, competence, dependability, empathy, integrity, and transparency. And I would encourage people to go to the forester.com website to get a more detailed definition of what all of those um, levers of trust are and how we define them. What's interesting in our research in the B2B world is that there are clearly favored levers that dominate the conversation and that propel perceptions of trust among B2B buyers broadly. And those three levers of trust that dominate um, across all industries that we surveyed and globally are competence, consistency, and dependability. I'll just say them again, competence, consistency, and dependability. And what we found is that, as I say, for all buyers, those were typically the primary levers that they thought were the most important in activating their perceptions of trust and for vendors to build perceptions of trust. This, this is interesting because if you contrast or compare that to the B2C landscape, they got very different results. Forrest has also done extensive research on, among consumers globally and the levers of trust that dominate for consumers changes depending on the purchase type, whether they're buying luxury goods or banking products, for example. And um, there's a lot of movement. That is not the case with B2B buyers. Largely, that's certainly some differences, but largely these three levers of competence, consistency, and dependability are always the most important levers. It sounds like competence, consistency, dependability, you know, they're the most important to business buyers uh, more important than some of the others, but what are some of those effective ways that B2B companies can, you know, rely on these levers, can work on these levers? What are some ways that they can um, enhance trust or build trust using or knowing that these levers are the most important for business buyers? Right. And this is where we get to, let's make it actionable, let's make it practical. Um, so, Trust is built through a process, a reinforcing process of expectations and experiences. That's, that's how trust gets created. And broadly stated, humans crave trust. It's, you know, how society functions or doesn't. It's, it's a very much a human scale issue that permeates all of society. And it's something that we as humans look for in all of our interactions, including in our business interactions, B2B buyers. So what can companies do to build trust, to create trust equity. I think it's first and most important, arguably, is trust operates uh, for buyers um, in a very specific way, B2B buyers. So while competence, consistency, and dependability are primary, it's important to understand how the levers operate in your industry, in your market space for your buyers, given the certain circumstances that you're operating with. So think about the seven levers of trust, understand which of these levers are most important for your buyers and work within that framework so that you can build trust with your, with your audiences. I think secondly, recognize that trust operates at different levels. Um, you know, I often use the analogy of, of banking. If you look at the dollar bill, it has written right on, on the bill, in God we trust, okay? But in fact, trust exists in the banking industry at all kinds of different levels. We trust the FDIC who insures our deposits. We trust the bank that we run deposits with, Bank of America or Chase. We trust our friendly bank manager, okay? There's layers at which trust exists when we think about how we conduct business with our money. 
Um, and in the same way, there's layers at which trust exists in the way buyers, B2B buyers, think about trust. So trust can manifest itself at the business level, at the brand level. And you should think about trust when you think about your mission and vision statements and how you communicate how the organization will deport itself. And then thirdly, trust can exist at the experiential level of the products and services you provide and make sure that you are, again, reinforcing the expectation of trust and building trust through these ideas of competence and consistency and perhaps also accountability and transparency. These other levers are still important. Um, so think about empathy and integrity and how your people, the processes, the product, your business can reinforce trust at all of these different levers. And then, um, you know, finally, we've sort of touched on this a little bit, but um, make sure that the expectations are reinforced with experience. So link your ideas around how to build trust with the CX work that you're doing and make sure that you're building connections between um, the CX um, activities that you're having at your organization and the trust building activities that you have. And that's a lot. That feels like you're making, you're breaking it down, you're making it actionable. But how have you seen clients like operationalize this, right? Because there's a lot of piece parts you're talking about. Let's make this as uh, concrete as we can. Um, if the goal is to display competence and consistency and dependability, these three attributes, then it's clear from our research that buyers associate those dimensions of trust, those levers of trust with certain attributes of a business. And those attributes are things like uh, financial performance and longevity, right? So they look for organizations that have shown through their experience that they are consistent and dependable by the fact that they are financially successful and that they've been in business for a long time. This favors heavily incumbent vendors, by the way. But there are certain attributes that you need to display as you describe your organization and the benefits that can accrue from working with your organization that will inculcate feelings of trust. And things like showing success, um, displaying financial success, showing that you are reliable in the sense of longevity, um, having customers uh, reinforce those messages on your behalf, all of these things build a concrete fact-based expectation that I can be trusted along the dimensions of competence, consistency, and dependability. So that's what you need to message to build the expectation that you can be trusted and to frankly get the permission to operate in market and to be listened to and heard. So that would be one very concrete example of how an organization can pass muster on these dimensions of competence, consistency, and dependability. So empathy, integrity, transparency, and some of these other levers came out to be not as important as the ones you mentioned. What should we read into that? Does that mean that B2B companies have to work harder on those levels of trust than the ones that you mentioned in terms of competence, dependability, and consistency? Yeah. So the way that we ask the questions in the survey uh, of B2B buyers is we, we force them to choose between the levers and they rank them according to their relative importance. 
And so when I say competence, consistency, and dependability is the most important, they were ranked that way by respondents. Respondents broadly stated thought that empathy, integrity, and transparency were less important, broadly stated. And so the, I think the first lesson to take away is if you want to build trust with a B2B audience of buyers, focus on the levers that matter most. It's not that the other levers don't matter at all. It's focus on the ones that matter most. And it's this competence, consistency, and dependability set of levers that matter the most. That, that would be the primary takeaway. Um, and, you know, that encourages you to think about how you can display those capabilities, those levers of trust, to your prospects, to your, your existing customers even, and how through experience they can uh, get reinforcement around those levers. Given the example I gave earlier about, you know, make sure that your CX backs up the messaging that you've got, that the expectation backs up the experience and that you're constantly reinforcing these notions of consistency and competence and dependability through what you message, the expectation, the evidence that you provide to show that, financial security, longevity, and then the experiences that you create as organizations work with you that reinforces this, these dimensions of trust. Again, it's not that empathy and integrity are completely unimportant, they're just less important. And certainly at the human level, at the, at the level of interacting with, with people, these, these ideas can become quite important. And in certain buying circumstances, they can become almost as important um, as some as the other primary levers we've been talking about. Well, let's maybe dig into that a little bit in terms of purchasing, right? Like B2B purchases often carry a level of risk. And so I'm assuming there's some connective tissue there, right? Between, you know, how does this risk impact the weight that buyers are playing on the different levers of trust? Can we unpack that a little bit? Because I think that's, there's a, you know, kind of personal professional risk right. in making a B2B purchase. And then there's obviously, you know, just general uh, corporate risk there too. Yeah. I think this is one of the most important findings we got out of the research is the interplay between risk and trust and the very unique circumstances that B2B buyers are placed in. They are very, very different to consumers in, in some fundamental ways. And one of those fundamental ways is that B2B buyers are making purchase decisions on behalf of their company, for their colleagues, and sometimes their friends, right? And so they are placed in this strange circumstance of having to juggle their own professional interests against the interests of the business they represent and the colleagues they represent. And that means that very often they get into making a, a position of uh, making decisions based on the relative risk of that decision. They start to make defensive decisions, in fact. We um, asked the respondents to our survey questions about this, and we asked them to contemplate the last 10 purchase decisions they had made on behalf of their organization. And we asked them to think about how many of those decisions were defensive. That is one of the primary motivators for the decision they made in that purchase circumstance was to reduce risk. And 43% of the respondents to our survey, almost half, said that 70% of the time they make defensive decisions. 
So it's endemic. Defensive decision-making is everywhere in B2B. And it's a consequence of this peculiar dynamic that plays out where, you know, B2B buyers have to worry about their own professional interests, the, the interests of their business, and it encourages them to find safe harbors. There is a very, it's getting very dated now, old adage that nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. We need to update it. But um, the, the point is that that, there's truth to that little adage. There's there's a there's a truth there, and this is how B two B buyers think. And so when they go into purchase decisions, they very often are thinking defensively. And when they think defensively, when they're risk averse, then the three levers of trust that we've been talking about: competence, consistency, and dependability become even more important. So there's an interesting irony here. The cost of making a wrong decision could lead to mistrust of the decision maker internally. And I'm sure the dynamics of the buying group matter more here. Yes, exactly, Shri. So um, this risk aversion is a primary driver for the need for trust. It's why trust is so prized in the B2B context. Um, But when you look at the different complexions of the buying group that's making a purchase decision, things get a little bit more interesting and complicated. So um, if there is a committee making the decision, there is a large group of people that are involved in the decision-making process, then that group tends to shift towards dependability, consistency, and competence again. But if individuals are making the purchase decision, you're acting solo, then you start to weigh all of the levers more equally. You worry about empathy, integrity, transparency, accountability. And it's because you feel more vulnerable as a human. You're looking for those connections with the people you're interacting with. Again, it's a little bit of social science perhaps, but it, it gets even more complicated. These are, these are attributes that sales, that product, that marketing generally can leverage when they think about how they communicate the buyers in different circumstances. It would change the way you build appeals, um, you build messaging, the way you communicate the value of your organization. You had mentioned something about this almost favors the incumbent vendor, right? Potentially there's an established trust there. And also, given some of the words and language that you're using in terms of longevity and financial results and what happens when you're uh, not the incumbent, when you are, you know, newer to maybe a, a market, trying to break into a new market, you know, you're shifting your go-to-market strategy or whatever, like that seems like a very different playbook to potentially you'd have to run if versus a more established player in a market. Is that fair? Yes, um, I, I would absolutely agree with you. Being the incumbent confers considerable advantages. And there's lots of evidence in our data um, that suggests reasons why that is the case. Uh, we looked at levels of familiarity and levels of trust for uh, different organizations. And there is a correlation between being familiar with a company, simply knowing of them, and how much you trust them. So familiarity doesn't breed contempt, it breeds trust. And so if you are known, if you are an incumbent, 
if you are the devil I know, then you're going to trust that organization more than this new company that's arrived in market and then is trying to get your attention. Um, we see it in other ways too. We ask B2B buyers who they trust. So what sources of information would they trust? What people do they trust? Top of the list, this might not be too surprising, would be co-workers and management in my own organization. Bottom of the list was um, government officials. I'll remind us again, we're in an election year here in the United States. That's not good news for us. Um, news media is not trusted. And then slightly better than government officials are salespeople from vendors. So, you know, not good news there. And again, this might not surprise us if we're, you know, our eyes are open and we're paying attention, but you should probably not be leading a conversation with your salespeople. You should be building a conversation in market with trusted sources of information, co-workers, the management at that organization. Uh, luckily for folks at Forrester, industry analysts play out well in this conversation too. You need to find those trusted sources of information and influence them, influence the influencers that can then influence your buyer. And that's hard work. And that's why organizations need to invest in things like thought leadership, need to be active and engaged in conversations in marketplaces, because through that, they're going to build trusting connections with this ecosystem that, in its, that can then directly influence the buyer you're trying to influence. Um, if you go in cold with your salesperson, it ain't going to end well. That's what our data suggests. So, Ian, let's dig a little bit into the differences in regions and geographies and industries, um, right? You you alluded to a lot of the research um, broadly that we're seeing in the in the data that we've collected. But what are some of the differences that you saw in our research as it pertains to industries and um, and geos? Sure. Yeah. Um, the, there were differences. As I say, the, the rank order of the levers of trust remains roughly consistent, but there are distinctions as you dig into the details. Um, let's start with industries. Um, we found an interesting finding. If you look at regulated industries, think healthcare, financial services, then inside regulated industries, they think about the levers of trust a little differently than non-regulated industries. What the, what the regulations provide is safety. And so they provide guardrails, institutionalized trust effectively. And what that means is that the traditional, the highly ranked levers of trust dependability, for example, become less significant. And uh, buyers in these industries tend to also look for things like empathy and transparency. Yeah, I was going to say, the. I think I like the word that you used in your report on codified. You know, trust is codified in these industries through rules, through governance, and through, you know, the mechanisms that they have to operate under. Correct. I mean, going back to my example of banking earlier on, this is why institutions like the FTIC exist. They exist so that we can trust banking, so that there isn't a run on the banks, which has happened historically in a lot of countries. That's why they exist. They um, exist in order to build um, guardrails so that we can trust our money in a financial institution. So that's one of the key findings we found. With GEOs, it's a slightly different story. So we looked at uh, the difference in the ways the seven levers of trust perform across APAC, Europe, and the Americas. Europe and the Americas tend to perform 
in a similar way. The, the levers of trust perform similarly, but APAC was, was quite different. In uh, the Asia-Pacific region, integrity, for example, performed very strongly. Integrity matters a lot more to B2B buyers uh, in that region. Um, and there are probably cultural reasons why that is the case. Um, so again, as you think about how you activate the levers of trust, it's important to think about context, region, industry, even age actually. Um, seniority matters, age matters. Um, you know, we as human beings are more risk tolerant when we're young, for better or worse, and we become more lower C conservative when we get older like me. And, you know, that plays out in the data very, very clearly. Young people are more risk tolerant than old people. It's just how we are built. Um, so there's lots of complexity and interesting details in the data that can be actioned, that can be used in, by sales, by product, by marketing broadly to build perceptions of trust. Ian, I'm surprised it's taken us this long to get to this topic, generative AI. I am would shocked love... it's taken this long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts on uh, how will Gen AI, because I'm not going to ask you if it will, how will it impact business trust today, tomorrow, moving forward? A lot is the short answer. Um, you know, we're living in an age where deep fakes are becoming almost indistinguishable from reality. You know, this has major implications um, for society broadly. Backing into the B2B buyer context, um, there, there's sort of... A, two ways to, to worry about this, and I think it is a, is a concern. Um, there's definitely the potential for deep fakes to undermine your brand. Um, the, the potential to mimic, to copy, to steal IP is very, very real. Um, and we're already seeing law, lawsuits around, around these issues. So there's, there's danger at that level for organizations and they need to worry about it. Um, there's also risks associated with using generative AI to represent your organization, to communicate with uh, those that you work with, buyers, investors, and so on. Um, and unless you have robust governance in place to manage that process, let's say, of content creation and of the mass customization that generative AI can can facilitate uh, for organizations unless there are very clear governance uh, uh, protocols and, and processes wrapped around that, there are enormous risks to your organization and to the trust that you create with audiences. There is also, I would suggest, um, an expectation of authenticity built into this conversation and you can argue that Gen AI will undermine that sense of authenticity. And authenticity is connected to trust. It's connected to CX. It's connected to how we feel about a brand. And, and that, that's very material to this conversation too. Yeah, I think, Ian, what you're describing is we're living in a world where there is a crisis of authenticity and this is a real opportunity for B2B leaders to kind of rise above and create those authentic experiences and build build that trust. I mean, there's a lot of pressures right now they're facing with, you know, growth and 
other types of pressures. So if you were to leave our listeners with, you know, one piece of advice, you, you've given us a great framework of thinking about business trust. What would be kind of one piece of advice that you would give B2B leaders on how they should be thinking about trust um, and building trust and maintaining and sustaining trust um, in the long term? What would What would that piece of advice be? The one piece of advice I would give, I'll circle all the way back to the beginning of this call, is that the data is really, really clear. Trust is absolutely primary to the decision-making process buyers make. And it is not sufficient to think about trust as an abstract concept. It's imperative that you find ways of turning trust into an actionable strategy at your business and that building trust equity is a primary driver for the way you conduct yourselves in market. I, I would say that's the, the, the important message here. This is not an abstract nice to have. This is an essential driver of long-term business success. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ian. Thank you for having me. If you like what you heard today, check out our agenda for Forrester's B2B Summit North America which includes over 100 analyst-led sessions filled with insights to drive your B2B marketing, sales, and product success. Learn more at for.com slash summit24. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash summit24. Thanks for listening.